providential placement. Providential placement. I felt like since we started um, this year, and I, I can't help but remember that at the start of 2024, I had numerous people come to me and, and say to me, what do you think about this coming year? What do you think um, about what's going to be happening? And you know, I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going to happen, but there's the feeling in the air that there's a lot going, going to happen this year. There's also that feeling in the air that at any moment Jesus could come and do exactly what God said was going to come and happen. So at every moment of our life, we should be ready. Are you ready for Jesus to take you as you are? Are you ready to stand before God as is? Now, a lot of us could say, I've got a lot of room to grow. Well, let's do the best we can to make as timely effort in growing before God as we can. You know, so much growth happens in the influence of His presence. It, growth doesn't happen just because of effort. And that's the difference of everything else we do in the world. We put in so much effort and we hope to get so much out of it. And I remember ministry, it had this kind of its eye-opener for me because I went from the physical, everyday, putting in sprinkler systems, doing something with my hands, and then seeing the marvelous efforts of that over a huge landscape of lawn and sprinklers popping up and water shooting out and just anticipating a, a plush green lawn from one end to the next. But ministry taught me something different, and that is, is that you don't always get to see with your physical eye all the things, and you can't depend on your efforts alone. And of course, God was helping along the path, but this is a different kind of help, right? When we're sharing the gospel and praying for people to understand, it's more than do you believe that the event happened. But is it so real to you that it's changing the events as they were in your life, the framework of your life, the way you think, everything about you? And there's such a powerful growth in meeting with the Spirit of God and how He can change things that were burdens and hardships and difficulties and habits over a long period of time. And I still say to this day, and I'm going to declare it here at the pulpit this morning, that what took the devil years to do in somebody's life, Jesus can undo in just a moment. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of people struggling to figure out what's the gap. You know, when Jesus used the word faith, we think that's belief a lot of times. Well, I believe it. It's locked up in my head. But there is a whole different transfer when we talk about faith. Well, I don't know how quite to put it together, but I do know this. It's powerful when faith is actually there to touch. Now you think of the woman with the issue of blood, and it's Jesus. She had said she'd been there 12 years with this issue of blood that couldn't be stopped. This flow. And she was pressing through the crowd. And she'd worked her way through the people until she finally was able to get her fingers on just the hem of his garment. And then she was made perfectly whole. It wasn't the garment of Jesus. It was the faith of the woman in Jesus. And that was the only thing she could do. She'd press in until she could touch that garment. Uniquely, why didn't she stand at a distance? And say, well, I know the Lord is a mile away, but I can trust Him now to give me what I'm asking for. Some people need that. Some people will get that. But there was a sense in which she had to move forward. And she, she had this feeling that she had to touch His garment. Why did she have to touch that garment? I couldn't tell you. But I knew that there was, that, that was the point in which faith met 
with Jesus. And Jesus met the need. And that is powerful when God can change us so drastically, so dramatically, and in a roof, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what we need in our hearts. Well, I think that's what we need for 2024. I think we need a lot of it for 2024. I think Christians that have been going to church for a number of years need to touch Jesus fresh. We need a fresh touch from heaven. We need a renewed anointing from God. We need to press in and experience what God has for us. I believe this. There's two different kinds of pressing in. There's a kind of pressing in that somebody seems to think that if I work harder, I'm going to get more from Jesus. And they're going to keep working harder and getting less. And there's the kind of person who's pressing in and says, I can't live without Jesus. I need, my living breath is all about God. I am so hungry for more of God in my life. I don't know, but just to just keep looking for Him. And there's the kind of pressing in because you deeply love God and you want more of what glorifies Him. Not more of what blesses you, but more of what glorifies Him. And when you do, I can't help but say it's been my experience, but I feel like God will continue to pour Himself out to the hungry souls. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 37, verses 13 through 17. Providential placement. I don't have overheads for you today. Um, I didn't want to put somebody through the task of following me along and, and going through the overheads for the notes. And uh, so, and my boys do a tremendous job. I want to share something about them just before I read this. I've been blessed by my boys recently. Um, <laughs> what the Lord will use at times. They happen to be watching a YouTube video that inspired them, and they wake up every morning now at 5 o'clock, both of them, without fail every single morning. They have a morning routine, a workout routine. They have a morning Bible routine. I actually have an app on my phone where I can see how much time they spend in there. They're usually like an hour or more in their Bibles. Um, it is blowing me out, out of the water what they're doing. And they walk the dog every morning. They'll be at 5 o'clock, somewhere at 5 o'clock in the morning, taking a walk around the neighborhood somewhere. And they've limited their time on what they're going to have for entertainment. Um, it's just, I can't, there's just lists of what they're doing, and they keep doing it and keep going through it. And uh, they're very much becoming an attitude of health-oriented. So, like, the health, the way they eat, what they do to their bodies, and it's just like a full, full meal deal, I guess. I'm super impressed with these boys. I'm grateful for them. So as you, as you look at them and you think about them, be praying for them. Be praying God just do a deeper work in their heart. And uh, I, I remember it was the other day, and no, it was the other week. I was walking down, and, and it's not been any different from the day I walked down there and saw it. I looked in Isaac's room, and it was immaculate, perfectly put together. He's 17 years old, and his room is uh, cleaned up and immaculate. And then I knew Caleb's was already, but I had to look, and I looked in both of them. I said, what dad? What dad gets to say to a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old son that their rooms are immaculate and they keep it going? Even some of the struggles that I was having and trying to get them in discipline. And all of a sudden, Isaac's like, I need discipline. And I remember one of the struggles that he was going through, and I think this is a Christian struggle, it was this. Was dad, it just it, like I'm trying, and then no, I try to do it, and then I fall short, and I try, and I fall short. And all of a sudden, the inspiration hit them, and they were doing it together. And they both have said, since we started doing this together, it's not hard. 
Thought I might throw that one out there. Well, I might start this sermon yet. Let's go ahead and get to Genesis 37, verses 13 through 17. Anyway, those boys have done a great job in the back here uh, helping with uh, the sound. Sure appreciate it. So if you're there, just say, uh, Jesus is Lord. Amen. There we go. There you go. (laughs) And Israel said, so this was Jacob, but Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here am I. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? And he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in, in Dothan, Genesis 37, 13 through 17. Now there's a little bit of mystery of who this man was. Some say it's an angel of God. Um, some may think it's actually just a, another man. I don't know for sure. But however it is, I think this man was providentially placed in Joseph's path to navigate him in the direction that his brothers were. But the difficulty of that is is that when he lands there and gets there with his brothers, that's when they had started their plot to kill him, and then they ended up selling him as a slave. This is the place God could have rearranged that and kept that from happening, but he didn't. And I think this is the place, this is the difficulty in our hearts, is oftentimes looking at the the situations in life and having to ask ourselves the question, is God at work in everything? What if I'm making the wrong choices and going the wrong direction? There's a lot of questions here. Is God really controlling all the events and situations of life? Well, I'm going to do the best I can to throw some answers in there, but I want you to think about that. In that this is the highlight of what's happening. You notice why I love the Bible? Because something so uniquely about the Word of God, it just tells us, the events as they took place. It doesn't tell us whether God approved. Uh, In many cases, there's a lot of things that we're kind of ambiguous. Is is this just a telling of the story, or is this God saying this was okay? What's happening here? But one thing about it is, is that you pay attention to God being in charge and in control of a life, and you look at Joseph's life from beginning to end, and this doesn't look so bleak, and it doesn't look so hopeless. And it doesn't put so many question marks when we look at the fullness of the entirety of his life. These verses represent what we later discover in full detail, how Joseph was being divinely placed and positioned by God. Do you feel like that in your life? Do you feel like God is divinely placing you? You look at like where you're at. Like I hear guys at times, and especially working men, and will be thinking, Is this really the job? I remember feeling like that for me when I was working for Brian. Is this the job that I'm supposed to be at? Especially on the hard days. 
on the wet days, the cold days, I was definitely doubting it. I wasn't sure if this was the right place for me. And you know, I tell you, even before that, like working for Eastern Oregon Landscaping was paradise compared to working in the salvage yard in Walla Walla. And I remember wet, cold days. And I, I, I still think to this day, I'm glad I was in my 20s when I was working that job because I couldn't have managed it in my 40s. They would have been too cold, too miserable, too hot, whatever. I don't know, but it was too much. But, yeah, right. But one of the things that I'll say is, is that there's a lot of mystery at different times in our life as to really God is in the middle of all of this. We have to ask, did I make the wrong decision? Did I walk the wrong path? Can I place on God's sovereignty every decision I ever make and call that uh, the will of God? And, but whether we get the answers to those questions or not, we still have this story to come face to face with and remember that we can be the Joseph in God's story for our life. There are details within our text that teach us truths that, to combat the deception of our day. Friends, I'm going to tell you this, brothers and sisters. If we're living in the last days, this is the time we need to be knowing what God is saying. We cannot be in a position of deception. I'm floored at how little people will read their Bibles in compared to the world that we're living in. There is deception rampant all over the streets. And you can't wait for Sunday to find out the revelation of God. You need to know for yourself. I am admonishing every one of us here to do our part, to read our Bibles, to spend time in the Word of God and to understand it within its context. And pray for the Holy Spirit to give divine revelation in, in your heart, in our hearts at the same time. Those truths include, so I want some things that I, as I think about the story of Joseph and some of the other texts here, walking through his life, here's some of the truths that I think that we can, we can have to help combat some of the deception of our day, and here's one of them. God's mission requires that we be strategically placed, but the path getting there is not smooth. How many of you lived a smooth life? Everything's just went really easy for you. I think that speaks to the reality of we want it to be. Every one of us has dreamed of having a smooth life from beginning to end, but it just hasn't been. But that's part of the whole of it. I remember to my wife, I was thinking after 20 years of marriage, I was thinking, you know, we've had some rocky times and we've had some difficult moments and we've shared some very difficult uh, arguments. But I thought, I wonder if those have impacted the depth of our marriage deeper than anything else. I wonder if the fact that we made it through and that we've loved and honored one another beyond the, that threshold of those troubles, I wonder if that's really the makeup of the love of this marriage. I wonder if I could redo it all over again and get all of that out of the way if, marriage, if my marriage would have looked more healthy or more holy or more happy without those troubles and entanglements, or with them. Now the difference is this. It's not, how, it's not as much how much of it, or whether you have it or not, it's what you do with it, and how you grow with it. If we've learned to love one another, and stuck deeper to one another's side, and cherished our own infallibilities, 
you're learning to cherish the fallibility of the one you're, you're married to can be uniquely a part of the grace of God. And I, I think as I look at God's life, is the way God sits, situates our life is that He doesn't take away the hardships, but He finds a way to give you grace to move and mature beyond those struggles in life so that you can walk in the kingdom of God and still you would think that it would keep us from being able to do the ministry. We watch churches. I've been through the church splits and I've seen the, the dissension that happens in a body of people and I watch people walk away discouraged. But I wonder about the handful of people that step out of that looking more pure, more solid as they ever have, and they're not offended with people. They realize that was a spiritual battle. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And they realized in all the division, that was the work of the devil. And they didn't see it. I wonder if sometimes what we find in, in our brothers and sisters is there's this feeling of spiritual sickness, but we don't know where it's coming from or how it got here. Why do I feel so divided? Why am I so opinionated? Why do I have whatever my reasons are? And God is so gracious. Even in those seasons, if we're really set to grow, we're really directed toward the cross, a personal cross of Jesus. Lord, you can crucify me and you can take me through the hardships and I'm going to walk with you through it all. Though none go with me, still I will follow. God's mission requires we be strategically placed. And you look at Joseph's life, and he had to make it into Egypt. He had to be before Pharaoh at some point. And so God had to orchestrate the events to get him there. But he did it through the envy and the hatred of his brothers. He didn't give Joseph this remarkable vision from heaven. And Joseph's like, oh, I need to go to Egypt, so let me start the path. That There's this providential experience Joseph isn't being completely aware of exactly what is happening and what is God doing. And he's walking that path and somehow this stranger ends up in his path and redirects him to his brothers so that he can go toward hardship so he can make his way to Egypt. And that mesmerizes me. That mesmerizes me. That blows me out of the water. That God, that I could look at, and as I share my story, and as I walk through my youth, and I talk about my mom's boyfriend and how he had threatened my life and wanted to get me out of church, and, and I don't have an ounce of resentment and bitterness toward him. I don't think I do, at least. And I feel actually like it has been one of the... It's, it's unique how I feel that God has blessed me in leading me to embrace Him instead of resentment, instead of letting people bring pain into my life. And I've watched it and I realized that was one of the things I needed for ministry. Because whether you realize it or not, brothers and sisters, there's going to be plenty of opportunity down the road, especially if you're going to be an, an elder or responsible leader in the body of Christ, that you are going to get hammered with hardship and difficulty from people. Don't let it get to you. Don't let it get to you. Love Him beyond that. Pray for God's restoration in His way of doing things. And some things I realized was this, and I'll tell you that, of the, the human frailty inside of me 
has a natural tendency to sense and feel rejection. And at that moment, God is redefining for me what I should do with that. And if I can, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to not embrace rejection as a thing, well, I guess I'm going to get rejected. I want to encourage you to look at what God might be doing in the middle of that. See, I didn't really realize that from youth on to this point that I would be here, that I would be an enterprise. It was the very place that I was born and preaching in a church in my very hometown, so to speak. I grew up in Walla Walla, and that's where my mind and my life was, and God transitioned my life to be here, and in time brought me to a place in ministry. And not a thing that I've experienced in life has actually been a deterrent to being able to minister and probably do it more effectively. As long as I learned the lesson God had for me in it. Genesis 37, 18 through 24. I want to look at these verses here. So you're, you should be already in 37. It says this. Uh, now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said one to another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and, he shall, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. They're already figured out the lie. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic and his tunic of many colors or his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. I want you to capture a few things here. When we're talking about the providence of God, notice this, out of one of the brothers, he's like, hold on, hold on, stop. I know you guys are mad. I know you're angry. I know you want to kill him. I feel like it too, but let's not do that. There's this, this like uh, unique feeling that conscience is somewhat in the way of the plot of evil that's within the heart. Now, where is that coming from? How is that getting into these, in even one of them? Somehow, God has gotten it into Reuben's heart. I can't let this happen. There's just there's a threshold. Some of the most evil people in the world have thresholds. They have places I can't go there. I'm not going to. And so this is what's happening, and God is managing it. Though Joseph is still going through the struggle, not to the depth of them actually getting the power to kill him. And then notice this, that Reuben is trying to deliver him out of the, their hand trying to save him from the intent of his brothers so that he can take him back home. And that's not how God's going to situate this. God's not providing that gap for him. Sometimes we can try so hard to work things out in the direction we think God wants it to go, and it still doesn't work that way. Sometimes we have to surrender. I don't understand. Is this possibly God's will? 
It doesn't look like it could be. I can't give you the answers for that, but I can give you a few more verses that you can look up. And you can, uh, so you might want to write these ones down. Acts chapter 14. So I gave you those notes if you want. There's some pins over here in the corner. <clears throat> I gave you, so, uh, if you got your bulletin, you got some notes there. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, and Mark. 13, verse 13. That should be fairly easy to remember. I'm giving you a few verses you can take home with you to kind of look at what God does some of these points. Second truth that we can take home into our hearts from reading Joseph's life. God's direction for life of a devoted believer. I want you to capture that. Of a devoted believer is not ultimately prevented by the evil done to them along the way. My verses for there is Genesis 37, 25 through 28, verses 31 through 32, and verse 36. I'm going to give you a few more verses here. <coughs> Excuse me. God's direction for life of a devoted believer is not ultimately prevented by the evil that is done to them along the way. Remember Paul had talked about he was hindered, but he wasn't stopped. God's direction is not prevented. It can be hindered, but it's not prevented by the evil done to you along the way. That's really important to remember. That is so essential as a Christian to remember. Because this is where we get sidetracked. Something bad. People are doing bad things to me. That's changing the direction of my life. That's hindering the path that God has for me. If you harbor resentment, that will just navigate the way God does this. He still has one track for you, but are you going to follow Him along that track or are you going to work against Him along that track? A few more verses I want you to write down here is Romans 8.36. works all all things. I think this is all things good for those that are called according to his purpose. And 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 12. I kind of leave these a mystery to you because I really do hope that you'll take this sermon home in heart and be like, I want to know those other verses that he gave. You'll probably have to write down the points to remember what the verses are correlating with, but that's all right. The reason I say in the life of a devoted believer is because there's an attitude in the heart of a devoted believer that says, I'm heading in the direction God wants. I may not see clearly right at the moment, but I am going to continue to do everything that I can to get clear vision for the direction God has for me, as opposed to the non-devoted so-called believer who doesn't really ultimately give a care where they land or how they get there or if it's God's will in charge. They just hope that somehow that God will manipulate the search situations in their life even though they don't give a care about how they do or what they do and somehow land in heaven when it's all said and done. I'll get back to that. Third thing, nothing that happens when we read Joseph's life, this is the third thing, nothing that happens in life of committed followers of God is by accident 
And I kind of followed up the second one with this one. Faith is a voluntary commitment, not a belief for the best to happen. We have got to get it out of our minds that my believing in God is me believing or having optimism for the best thing to happen. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is I have faith that despite my inability to know the will of God all on my own, I trust that God will reveal to me a long path in situations that come up as I pray and I seek His face, as I look to Him for answers that I don't have in myself, that God will give me what I need when I need it. And somehow, as we live the legacy of life and as we look at the faithful who followed on before us, they'll be able to tell us it's been true through my life. God has gotten me through many, many situations because I learned to trust Him. And so committed followers are always looking to Jesus to help them get to where they need to be. But it's a voluntary commitment. It's not like this, God's just going to zap me and I'm going to fly this direction. God's going to zap me and throw me in this direction. There's too many people who believe that. And my verses for you in this will be Romans 8.28 and Isaiah 59.19. Romans 8.28 and Isaiah 59.19. I want you to go to the Genesis 45 verses 4 through 5. Nothing that happens in the life of a committed follower of God is by accident. This is such a tremendous verse. These, these two verses. I already took you to them, but because I know that you'll, you'll never like, get, get past how wonderful they are, I'm going to give them to you again. I'm just going to give them to you again. So Genesis 45, verses 4 through 5. This is maturity. This is Christian growth right here. I'm just giving you a few minutes so that you can turn there. Genesis 45, 4-5. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. Now you know where I'm going. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. We needed this ending. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Cherish this verse. I mean it. Cherish this verse. You Mark this one down. It's, it's not illegal, just so that you know, to highlight a verse. I know some people feel like they're marking up God's Word. Um, it's not. And the reason for it is because, really, God wanted this book to get from here to here. So any way you can get it from here to here, do it. Memorize it, mark it down, light it, uh, light up, put so much light on it, the only thing you can see is the Bible. I don't know, but listen to what he says, though. He says, do not be angry with yourselves. What you did to me, I have no resentment. You don't have to look at me and worry about my resentment or I'm going to revenge what you've done to me because I saw the bigger picture. I got the bigger picture. The bigger picture was God had to get me here and this was the situations and the 
significance of how he had to do it and why, I can't tell you. But I think that that feeds into the next part, number four. This is the truth that we can glean from to keep us from deception. And that, that is this. God is active in what looks like detours and obstacles to forge character, to develop wisdom, infuse integrity, call us closer to Himself, and at the same time, He is providentially placing His people where they need to be. You have to understand, Joseph in his flesh, Joseph in the compromise of his humanity, could have never done this mission. He could have never ruled in Egypt. He would have never been equipped for it. He had to have difficult moments in his life and look to God and become matured through that experience so that he could be faithful to be able to rule when it was time to rule. We take too, we take too much out of the importance of getting character. I'll tell you my experience has been from one end to the next, especially in ministry, but I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My experience is this. I don't care if it's a job or if it's ministry. Character is the most essential thing we will find in people. You can have gifts. You can have most splendid gifts that when people hear, they think they're in heaven. But if you don't have the character to back it, that, that gift will pervert everything God is doing or could do through it. So we have to have character, maturity. We have to have humility. So I look at this and I think, I think God grafted this in because he knew Joseph would have never been able to step into his mission in life, his call, without these things preparing him for it. Imagine the humility that was developed when he went from being rejected by his brothers and then going into Egypt as a slave. And I caught, I caught there. I can't remember chapter and verse in the moment, but he said he served Potiphar. He was a slave, but he had a servant's mentality. That is powerful. That is remarkable. I'm not a slave. In your eyes, I am. You treat me like a slave, but I look at you like I'm serving you. Man, we could do a whole lot of difference in the world we live if we stopped looking at the people that we were doing work for and living around as those who have authority over us and we just serve you. A servant's mentality changes everything and the humility that came in that. And I wonder where it came from. I wonder how God got him there. So he served him. And then right after that, it says, after Potiphar made him, basically gave him all the authority in his home, he said, you can rule over everything and anything in my house. And then his wife came in. And then he got thrown into prison. All this favor. And now all of a sudden, back to ground zero again. Crush most of us. It would destroy our faith. It would wreck our hope in God. It would make us feel like God is so far away. But it didn't for Joseph. That's why I love this story. And it says that he found favor everywhere he went. And the Lord was with him. Why? Because he's not harboring bitterness. He's not harboring something from his past. He's not buried in the pain of what somebody else has done. He's walking with God through the trials. And favor comes to those who walk with God without letting the pain become the middleman between it. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. I'm going to say amen to it. So God is active in what looks like detours and obstacles. 
I want you to really examine your life and look at either your history or your present and wonder what you think are obstacles. You might want to rethink that one. If you're a devoted follower of Jesus, you might want to rethink that. My verses for you are Proverbs 16.7. I think this is the one that says, uh, trust, actually it might be, um, no, it's verses chapter 3. So Proverbs 16.7 and Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and He will direct your paths. Proverbs 16.7 and Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Uh, I was, I actually, I didn't get this. This didn't come to my own mind. I saw it on the video. The guy said, he was talking about a GPS. This is really important to think about when we're talking about the providence and how is God working in our life. A GPS is one of the most amazing things. Because I remember when they didn't have a GPS or either that or we couldn't afford one. I can't remember for sure which one that one was. But I remember we had an atlas or some kind of a map, road map, and my wife was trying to lead me down the paths of, Boise or uh, Spokane or wherever else. And it was really hard to be unified when we were trying to travel with her telling me where to turn and when not to turn based on the rule of a map. And it was difficult guiding through that. And I remember GPS became a marriage builder for us. (laughs) It was definitely a marriage builder. And the way a GPS works is it gives you the direct route from where you're at to where you're going. But along that path, if you make a wrong turn, it recalculates for you to be able to get back on the path again. Now, I think that's what the Christian life, that's what we're dealing with. But here's the difference is this. I think some people want to look at the providence and the the sovereignty of God as not as a GPS, or they want a GPS of what God does to be different than what a GPS does, they want this instead of instead of walk, working cooperatively with the GPS, they're hoping that it will restructure the road and ensure that they'll land in the destination location without cooperation. That is not what we're talking about. You can't go onto YouTube or Facebook or wherever and get God's direction for your life. You can get some very motivational things that may actually confirm something God has already spoken to you. But aside from that, don't even go there. Seriously. Don't go there for direction, for sure. Entertainment, maybe, but I don't know. GPS works only as we cooperate. It is designed to recalculate for a misturn or two. It does not restructure the road to ensure that we land at our destination or location without our cooperation. We can get to Portland in an airplane with some wind, but not if we are deliberately flying off course. Not if we're deliberately flying off course. See, it's all right to have tribulation and struggle in life, but it's not okay that we're walking a whole different direction than what God wants us to be, and we're expecting Him to validate us when we stand before Him. It just doesn't work that way. When we teach about the grace of God and we hear things about the unconditional love of God, we want to remember, I have got to say this, we want to remember this context when we talk about the love of God. When we talk about the grace of God, or otherwise what we do is we create this permissiveness 
wrapped around the idea of the Bible that says you can live any way and do anything you want. You can fly off course and God will change the roads and make sure you land in heaven when it's all said and done. That is the most scary thing we could do is start preaching that concept or that idea out of the love of God. So we have to be careful that we catch when somebody says the unconditional love of God. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Number six, God gives supernatural favor geared toward His glorious end. Joseph was favored because everything he was doing with that favor was working toward the end God had chosen, not the direction that Joseph wanted to go. If Joseph had gone his direction, you know where he would have landed. He would have made his way back to uh, where his father and his heritage and his family were. That's where he would have gone. But that's not where God had him. And I think that's what's amazing. So the supernatural favor is geared. So if you're asking, I, I don't know, how many of you are praying for God to give you supernatural favor? I got, a, I got a few hands out there. For every hand that's not up, I still believe you are. So don't worry about it. You're asking for supernatural favor. What you're asking for is to God to give you the favor that's directed toward His plan for your life. Please keep looking for, Lord, what is your direction? We have a saying, it's not for the faint in heart. You know, some difficult task happening. Well, the supernatural favor is not for the self-absorbed. Not for the self-absorbed. So I want to share something with you because I think this is really important. We'll kind of come to a close as I get to this part. Is I want to talk to you about the Word of Faith movement. The Word of Faith movement. Some of us think that that is the movement of us actually believing what God has said. But there's some scary things that have happened in the Word of Faith movement. And I don't think many people are caught up and even realize it or they've been so duped by it that they don't even think about what else the Word of God says about it. I want to share a couple things with you. And the reason I say this is because I think this is ingrained in so many people's minds and we've been adulterated with it without even knowing. And we're trying to filter that into what is God controlling? How is He managing my life and working it in? And we're holding on to the Word of Faith ideas, which are absolutely in a defiance to the Word of God. And I'll tell you why. The Word of Faith movement violates the integrity of Scripture and defies the, defines the self-willed person as a supposed Christian. It energizes spiritual rebellion and moralizes it by encouraging the misuse of the Bible so that we can take back our dominion. They'll use words of the Bible, but the problem is, is it's a false use of the Bible. I love what one of our speakers at men's camp said. He said, we believe in divine healing, not faith healing. And that is a big difference. It's not that it doesn't take faith to receive it. It's that it's the divine interaction that causes it not human belief alone. So what they did in, if, if you realize what the Word of Faith movement is all about, it's about making faith in, in place of God. Faith is the creative force in their minds that creates the thing to be. No, God is the creative force behind it when there's a miracle that happens. And faith is the thing that in, gets us closer to God. It's that I'm in line or in sync with God. I want, if you get a chance... Uh, the website that you can visit for these things that I'm going to share with you is this. 
www.gospeloutreach.net slash wfquotes.hotmail. And I can give that to you if you want later after the service. But here's some of the things that have been, uh, I think, predominantly from Kenneth Copeland. Now, I'm not going to speak evil of him, but I am going to say, when I read this doctrine and this belief, this is what I have a problem with. And, uh, and I think you should too. So here's a few things. God did not create. This is one of the things that he said they gave actually where it came from. God did not create the world out of nothing. He used the force of his faith. This is out of the spirit, soul, and body. Tape number one. The second thing said is God's reason for creating Adam was to reproduce himself. They believe you become a God, that you become a creative force, that you are just like God in that way. It actually becomes very dark in that sense. So it's not just a faith thing. It's, it, it's an identity thing. You identify as God yourself. Now they put little God there, but they still make it. So here's an interesting thing. Third thing, he says, Adam was not subordinate to God. What? The creation lost its subordination to the Creator? But that would be consistent with this idea in belief. It gets worse. Jesus, number five, Jesus existed only as an image in the heart of God until such time as the prophets of the Old Testament could positively confess Jesus into existence through their constant prophecies. Yeah. So you get some of this televised version and you don't get that piece of it. And you have to go, wait a second, I don't... Go back and, and he gives. Again, I've got... If you go to that, that email address and there'll be a lot more, it'll, be, it'll show you the tape and what the title of it was if you want to go visit it for yourself. Number six, every Christian is a God, little g. They take it from a verse in the Bible out of context, out of context. And these are the ones I put the stars on because I was like, this is the thing that defines this so much. Number seven, when we use the spiritual laws that God has set up, God must obey what we request. They don't base it on a relationship and union to God Himself. They base it on the laws God has created to make it happen. And lastly, Adam lost the innate ability to create at the fall. There was never a verse in the Bible that showed that Adam had any power to create at anything other than procreate, but not create, not in the way God does. But these guys have actually saw, they create this vision around themselves so that when they speak the word, the power is in their own word. But that's not what Peter said. When Peter had, the man that was at the gate beautiful was lame and he said, give me money. And Peter looked at him and he says, I give you what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, when everybody in the temple started looking at Peter and noticing Peter, notice what Peter said. He said, it is not by my power 
or holiness that this man walks. I'm not the God who did this. It's not my power that did this. It is his faith in Jesus. And he, remember, he said, look on us, and what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But he didn't receive it until he believed, until God had made it plain to him. See, there's something powerful about God giving us an authority to speak under Christ, but not on our own authority, and using Christ's name as that. And there is, even though it may seem like such a minute difference, it's a distinct difference that has the difference between hell and heaven between it. And we have to discern. We must or we get caught up into it. And it won't be long before we've decided that the way this works is, it's by the power of the spoken word. That's the word of faith. When we speak the right words, we get the right thing. And it's no different than basically saying, as long as we have positive outthrow. And so then you have some of these guys that literally believe that if they say, they name it, they claim it, they blab it, they grab it, they get whatever they say, whether it exists on the basis of the Word of God or not. The danger is that there's a huge portion, and the reason I have to say it, is a huge portion of Christianity that are believing it and flocking toward it. And those who are profiting off of it are not actually living on the basis of the Word of God. And so what we find most of the time is a prosperity gospel as the breach message of it. But notice this, not one of Jesus' disciples was a prosperity life lived. Every one of them, with the exception of John, were, were martyred to death. And Peter said, he says, silver and gold, I have none. I live as a pauper, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I rise up and walk. There's power in that kind of life. But it's Jesus who does it, isn't it? The first time you decide that you're going you're gonna to make something happen, I'm going to create it, and there's a lot of books out there for it, I'm going to create something because I say it. Well, I'm going to say negativity creates something, in a sense. Being positive creates something. It creates an atmosphere, as it were. But it doesn't create a, a miracle. It doesn't manifest only what God can manifest. Make sure that we understand the difference. The turbulence that Joseph had to fly through, these were the things that Joseph lived his life and finished his mission having had to endure and experience. Envy, which was a part of the hatred that he'd experienced. False accusation, slander, separation, abuse, betrayal, an unjust trial, imprisonment. He was forgotten and enslaved. And yet he finished his course with joy. Yet he finished his mission. God placed him where he needed to be, and he did what God told him to do. This shows us that there can be a whole lot of imperfection and sin in the world, maybe even in our churches at times. And God is able to majestically and flawlessly position his devoted, cooperative people. Devoted, cooperative people. And the reason I want to highlight that is because I think every one of us, whether we say it or not, I think every one of us, if you're like me, I want God to guide my life. I want to finish my course. We just had the funeral for my father-in-law. And I, I can look at in, in the part of his life and how much of his life I know, and I think about some of the flaws, and I think about some of the trip-ups, and I think, you know, I don't know what that looks like when he stands before the Lord. But I know myself, as, as I think about he gave me a last message, this most sobering message that I could ever have. He's saying, James, be careful. 
Be careful with your life and improve in any way that you can right now and live as close to Jesus as you can and have as few regrets as possible when you stand before God. I want to live that life and I want to look back on life thinking, you know what, I don't see. I don't want to be the guy who says, I hope that God got me where I needed to be. I want to be the guy who says, I'm sure God got me exactly where he wanted me to be. And that's not just for now. That's a few years down the road too. We're working toward our final day to stand before the Lord. Let's not take that for granted. Everything we do right now has something to do with that day. And as we, let's be cooperative with what Jesus has given us. Placement is huge. Lord, where are you placing me? Why do you have me where you have me? Why do you have me in front of the people you have me in front of? And I want to share this with some of the elders of our church. Don't you dare. Don't you dare take your life for granted. The remainder years of your life and the experience of your life. I need what you have. I need to hear your miracles. I need to hear what God has done to your life. I need to hear what your trials have brought you through and some of the things you need to warn me of. I'm telling you, I need your warnings. And there's sometimes where I feel like, the, I don't know, I'm not there, but the, retirement, the feeling of retirement feels like I have to retire from life and retire from a sense of importance. And you are strategically important to our church, whether you realize it or not. We need you, and this young generation desperately needs you to realize that the gifts God has done and the things God's done in your life, share them with us, please. Call me up and say, hey, pastor, I just want to share something with you. I don't know what it might mean for your future or now, but I want to share a testimony, something God did in my life. It's precious, and I don't want it to be forgotten. As a matter of fact, I know that Sandy's been very dear to us, and we still think about her a lot. And John, I know that he does. And as I thought about some of her testimony, and one of the things John shares about her, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a recording of it, that's my heart, is that she went into a hospital room, and I can't remember the details, that's why I'm going to have John share it, but she went into a hospital room with somebody that was dead. She prayed for them, and they came back to life again. You don't let that die. You hear me. You don't let that die. You don't let what God has done in your life be lost to this generation. We need to hear it so that we know where to go. The vision of our life and the vision that carries us forward is in the hands of our elders, whether you realize it or not. Because what we're going to do is make the same mistakes and we're going to fall and we might fall big time and we might not make it to the end of our course unless we hear what you have to say. We need it. You've seen some things that will help us prevent the evils that are coming in your life. So don't take your life for granted. And I want you to hear from me. You mean the, mo you mean the world to me. As I watch physical things happen in your life and pains that I don't know how, like things that you're going through that I'm like, it's day after day. And some of those getting ready to be with Jesus kind of moments. I don't want you to think in between the pain that you're not important to this church. Never in your life. And, and, and when you think, well, I can't cook like I used to cook, or I can't be able to do physical labor like I used to do physical labor. You still need to hear me. It's the wisdom. It's what God has put into your life. That is more important than all of that. I get so caught up in helping people that I forget sometimes. It's sometimes what I'm going to share with somebody that's so important. So as we come to a close, I want you to just spend some time before the Lord and let go of some of the burden of feeling unimportant and unnecessary and overlooked. And even if you've been overlooked, I don't want it to be for another moment. I don't want it to last beyond this second. 
I want to pray for you. And then I want to just take a few moments together, as long as God gives us, to just seek His face and ask Him to minister to us. I don't know what you've been seeing the providence of God as. I don't know how you look at your life situations. I don't know if you've had a few hard turns in life and you said, I think I missed the mark. But I'm hoping for you today to get back to where the Lord wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you today, Lord Jesus. Dear Lord, I thank you. God, I have got to pray with all my heart today, Lord, that there has been bondages. There has been, for some, Lord, years of deception that have wrapped around some situation in their life that have kept us captive from doing what Paul said when he said, I forget the things that are behind me and reach forward to what's before me. Jesus, if there's anybody in my audience, Lord, right here in our church, that has something of their past that's still stopping them from receiving something in the present, then, Lord, I pray, Father, for that to come out in the open right now. Lord, would you undo the heavy burden in the name of Jesus. I said it in the name of Jesus.